Um, good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We go through the Bible book by book, verse by verse. We love paper Bibles. Today we're going to get a finger workout. Ooh, we got paper Bibles. There we go. Good. Bring them over. We got one. We got two. Any others? Any others? Okay. So Usher Dan's going to take care of that. Um, good to see everyone this morning. Before we dig into the Word of God this morning, there's a few different uh, announcements, updates, and just things that I want to remind us to pray for. Uh, one big announcement that we have this morning has to do with some something that we had learned kind of early fall, and uh, Christina, myself, Pastor David, Michelle, elders, we've been praying um, about all of this. Our beloved uh, church administrator, Brittany McGann, who served the body for four years, is going to be stepping down to focus on all things mama land and family land. Uh, Brittany served with such steadfast attention to the vital details behind the scenes. She was such a bulwark for Pastor David, vital for me amidst the transition, gleaned so much from her and from the uh, journey that we went through together. As many of you know who are CCCH saints of yesteryear, if you will, Kim Booth uh, was the first church administrator that we had and laid a solid foundation for that role. And then Brittany came in and kept moving forward with that. And we have an opportunity to see God's faithfulness yet again for the body of believers here. Um, excited to share that we're going to be, the role is going to be shifting from church administrator to church coordinator. Still the same email, just a few things are going to look a little different. But excited to share that Cassia Redding is going to be moving into the role of church coordinator. So super excited about that. And again, just seeing God's faithfulness with this body of believers. He's, it's his church and he's doing what he's doing to do what he wants to do in this season of his church. And it really is a blessing. But let's offer some praise and thanksgiving to our Lord for everything that Brittany has done. And just also for Cassia for what she'll be doing in the future. So praise the Lord. And I followed Brittany's strict orders of not bringing her up here or doing anything like that. So I passed the test. Okay. So uh, in other news, Band of Brothers. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, we got the Band of Brothers breakfast uh, next Saturday, as you heard. Uh, one of the wives, Tamara Robbins, uh, was talking to me beforehand, and I uh, just wanted to say, this one's going to be catered, men. So you just have to show up. Your wives don't have to cook your dish for you, um, but you just have to show up. And we've got uh, our wonderful chef, Leslie, is going to be taking care of that. So you can get a little extra sleep, but still be right on time for 730. Um, and on a more tender note, brothers and sisters, please continue to keep in prayer our beloved Michelle, um, whose mother Shirley went home to the Lord. Just be in prayer for the family, for Pastor David, for her, for our Paul, Bree, for everyone, Stevie, uh, Matt, Cassia, the whole family. Please keep them in prayer. Continue to just pray for God's healing and just his ministering and love and care to the family amidst this. And pray, we know... How many in the love of the Marini family pray that their love amidst this time helps to point the family members that don't know Jesus to Jesus and to that place of salvation. So please keep them in prayer. Uh, they'll be the service is on Tuesday and then they'll be heading back here. Um, so again, just hold them in prayer. And this morning also uh, Pastor Jeff, who is away, is preaching at CC Gainesville. So keep him in prayer also. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together with your body of believers, Lord God. What a gift it is. What a blessing it is, Lord. Help us to never take for granted that we can still freely worship in this country, Lord God. And Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, all that Brittany has done to serve this church, Lord God, and just pray your steadfast, continual blessings on her and her family, Lord God. And thank you for Cassia coming in, Lord, and all that she's going to be bringing to this role, Lord. Just give her your wisdom, your discernment, your strength, Heavenly Father, and thank you for that, Lord. And Father, we pray for Pastor Jeff this morning. Be with him as he's giving the word in C.C. Gainesville in Florida, Lord. And we also just lift up our beloved Marini family, Lord, and just ask you to be with them, Heavenly Father, and usher in your peace and comfort as only you can. Fill my brother, Pastor David, up with your spirit as you always do to just pour out on his loving bride and just help them to be the light that you need amidst this time and travel mercies to Paul and Bree and other family members as they go down for the service Tuesday, Lord. And I just pray that it would be a sweet time of reflecting on a lovely saint, Lord, who loves you, Lord, and who's worshiping you now in glory and that their joy in knowing where she is, Lord, would point others to want to know that they could know where they will be. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 
So last week we had the Tunisia trip update, and I spotted earlier Dan and Ava are there. I encourage you. First off, praise God you both are back. We love that. But encourage you, talk to them, talk to Pastor David. As I've said when we get these updates from our little trio, as I like to call them, this is about obedience to the Lord, what they're doing and how they're going forth and the Lord and the Holy Spirit bringing conviction to do something and follow through. Talk to them about it, glean that wisdom, uh, and just rejoice in the work that's being done and continue to pray for all that we learned last week about that trip. And in that, it was interesting because we really got to see uh, much, as we're about to today look at the Holy Spirit, it was interesting to see Pastor David talk about the God surprises. And it really reminded me personally of the necessity to not just have an intellectual relationship with God, but you need to have a surrendered one where you're continually in the Word of God, where you're continually communing with His Spirit, and where you're continually seeking to be filled afresh daily that you can abide and be who he needs you to be. And it just made me also think, what if it was that we lived as though when that second hand hits 12, that next 12, the Lord's coming back. What if we lived with that imminency? What would that be like? How would our decisions change? How would how we look about things that might normally get our feathers really riled and us frustrated about things and suddenly that eternal perspective would shift it? Now, prior to the update last week, we were in John 7, and we continued on with Jesus' arrival at the Feast of Tabernacles. And as we've seen throughout this gospel, brothers and sisters, people struggle with taking Jesus at his word. And within this text, we also saw one verse that really caused us to ponder how we judge. It was verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So you had two weeks for this charge, which means we can open the floor for testimonies. No, I'm kidding. But first, with the charge, do you take Jesus at his word or do you question? Do you take him at his word or do you question his abilities? Do you question his actions? Do you question his appearances? Is he who he says he is for you or not? Two, how do you judge? Did you take time to really ponder that? Because if we're all honest, we all judge. We all have opinions on things. But are you doing it with the mind of Christ? Are you doing it with a self-righteous heart? And three, will you allow God to search your heart? Will you repent? Conviction and repentance, I firmly believe, are things that are just lost in the church today. And we got to be a body of believers continually saying, Father, search my heart. Know what's in me. Know what's in me, Father. Refine me. Convict me that I can be who you need me to be. Now, today, we're going to be going on and we're going to finish, believe it or not, we're going to finish the rest of chapter 7 today. And the message is entitled, A Promise Amidst Tensions. Now, we're going to see the Pharisees seek to take action after the murmurs that we saw a little bit earlier. They're going to try to arrest Jesus. We're going to see Jesus point to the coming crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. We're going to see these religious leaders once again confused as Jesus gives the spiritual truth. They remain stuck and limited on the physical as they often do. We're going to see Jesus' promise that he gives, a promise on the last day of this feast. It's the last day of the feast. It's the last feast before the Passover that will lead to his crucifixion. It's the last time he's going to be speaking before so many before that point. And he gives a promise that should bring comfort that should bring peace, that should bring joy to the believer, the Holy Spirit to come. We're going to see some believe Jesus is the Christ. Some are going to say he isn't. We've seen that throughout this gospel. This is the tension that they continue to have. And it often in this chapter, if we think about it, revolves around one thing. Where was Jesus born? Where did he come from? It keeps coming up over and over and over again. And in that, we're going to see how these leaders interact with each other behind doors. We're going to see they're always seeking to shame and condemn anyone that tries to say anything that could point to Christ. We're going to see how they respond to the officers. We're going to see how they respond to Nicodemus. And amidst all of that, I hope you ponder what flows in you and what flows out of you. Now, these tensions taking place, think about the whole chapter. 
the attention with his brothers, disbelieving who he is, challenging him, do a work, do something crazy. The leaders seeking to kill him, the Jewish people having fear to talk about Jesus because they have fear of the leaders, the tension of being familiar with Jesus' earthly parents, but being unable to see and take him at his word. The murmurs that come about, as we saw in verses 12 and 13, the tension of he's good or others saying he's a deceiver. The tension of accepting his word, the tension towards those who follow Jesus, the tension towards Jesus who relentlessly continues onward in obedience to God the Father. We're also going to see the tension from that inability to eliminate, to kill, to take out Jesus. Tension, and amidst these tensions, the Holy Spirit's brought up, right in the middle. The Holy Spirit's brought up. And we have to ask ourselves, are there any tensions in our world today? Good answer. Are there any tensions within you? Are there any tensions beyond the walls of this church? And when we think about that, we have to be mindful of the fact that the church, the body of believers, often neglects to seek communion with the Holy Spirit. And I pray we not be that church. So stand with me, brothers and sisters. We're going to read a long passage together. So do a little jiggle while you stand so we're up for this together. But we're going to do John 7, 32 to 52. There we read. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he has said? You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our Lord judge a man? Before it hears him and knows what he is doing. They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has risen out of Galilee. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you preserve it, Lord. We thank you that you give us this gift that we can read it, that we can glean new things every single time we open it. Lord, help us to commune deeply and richly with your word. Father God, I ask that your Holy Spirit, that precious gift, fill me right now, Lord God to deliver the words that are needed for your people, Lord. I pray that you help all to cast aside um, distractions, things that cause pride, envy, all of the things that would take away, Lord, to destroy what you have for them this morning. Please give them ears to hear, Lord God. Even that most rigid heart, ears to hear, Heavenly Father, what you have, Jesus. Please, Lord. And Father, I pray you help us each to remember what we hear we are accountable for. In your precious name we pray this, Jesus. Amen. Grab a seat. So let's first, we're going to see how the Pharisees kind of react to the crowd discussing this. So in 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Now, if we remember in John 5, verse 16, they already have their desire. And we read there, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. So we already know their intent. They want him done. They want him gone. So they're sending officers. They're going to try to take him because they're really needing to avoid Jesus rising more. 
Then we go on, verse 33. Then Jesus said to them, he goes right to them, they're there, they're coming, and he just says right there, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. So he's pointing to the crucifixion that's going to happen, the resurrection, the ascension that's coming. And again, he points to their hearts. You will seek me and not find me, for where I am, you cannot come. Continual rejection. You're not going to be able to be where I am. And he's coming to fulfill the purpose God has ordained for him. And we go on to verse 35. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he has said, you will seek me and cannot find me, and where I am, you cannot come? As we go through this gospel, I, I almost feel as though when we started it, I said, said, keep track on paper how many times Jesus gives a spiritual truth, and they just get stuck on the literal and the physical, because they're not able to receive and hear what he has. Once again, they're limited on the physical. A heart committed to rejecting Christ, we have to remember, can't receive the truth of Christ. That's why we have to pray for the soil of hearts. Pray that it's tilled. Pray that it's softened. Because when that person's rejecting, 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 we need to be in prayer that they're able to soften, to hear, to humble themselves. Now, when we look at this, they're saying, does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? This is now hitting dispersion, meaning at this time is the Jews scattered throughout the Greek world. And they're kind of saying, okay, so is he going to leave the promised land and go to the other Jewish people? And we know later on, after the resurrection, we know that that dispersion is going to then shift and be talking about the Jews scattered abroad. And then at the end of this, they say, What is this thing he has said? You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. They repeat his own words. And I like to think there had to be a little bit of rattle. What's going on? What is this that he's saying? Why can't we understand this? Now we're going to read verses 37 to 39. But for the study right now, we're going to actually skip over them and then come back. But I just want to have us read it so that we go in order here. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he gives this, and now we're going to, he points to salvation, points to the Holy Spirit, And then we're going to see what takes place right after he says that. And what we're going to see take place is a timeless truth that happens when Christ says who he is and what he does. Division amongst people. It's a timeless truth. One either believes or one rejects. And as we go through the Gospel of John, this is the first of three occasions where we get a stark bit of division that's shown. So we're going to see it coming up in verse 30 with his person, Then when we get to John 9, we're going to see division pointing to his power. And then in John 10, we're going to see division pointing to his passion. Three times within this gospel, we see those moments of stark division from who he is. So verse 40, we read, Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. So on one side, there's the belief. There's the understanding, this is Messiah. This is a people who would remember Deuteronomy 18, 15. And we've got a lot of scripture references today, so keep up. But if you miss some, talk to me after. I'll try to get them to you. But Deuteronomy 18, 15, we read, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. And in verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So they would be witnessing, they would be hearing him speak and they would know this is he, this is the Messiah. He's here, that's the prophet, this is the Christ. But then juxtaposed to that, we get the next part of that verse. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. 
others reject. That's that division that comes. It's the division that comes with the truth and the word of God. You either believe it or you don't. It's the reality of the duality. We got to stop pretending there's a gray. Ain't no gray. It's either you believe or you reject. You're either all in or you're not in. And we see here this rejection is masked. It's got a mask on. That mask is intellect and question. Has the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So they see, remember, their familiarity with Christ. We saw that earlier in this chapter where they say, we know his parents, this isn't the Messiah. He's supposed to come from above. They reject the truth. They think of the seed of David and they would think of 2 Samuel chapter 7, the covenant that we see that takes place. And we read there in verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you and your throne will be established forever. This is that covenant promise. It's the end of that covenant promise to David from God and it's pointing the Messiah is going to come through that seed. So they would know that and then they would throw in Micah 5 verse 2, but you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So they would know those scriptures and they would say, it's Bethlehem, hands down. They don't actually know the truth. And there's a mystery that takes place at this time around the birth that should remind us something. God wants you to dig So if they had dug deeper, if they had taken the time to say, okay, let's really try to figure out where exactly, where were you born, Jesus? Let's really try to dig that we can understand. But they don't do that. And it shows the heart of those that, you know, would look and they would read Psalm 22, which we've studied, which on Wednesdays, which so clearly points to the suffering servant and they'd reject it. They'd read Isaiah 53, where we see our suffering savior for our iniquities. He was crushed. And they would read that and they would reject it. Theologian James Montgomery Boyce has a great quote on this. Are you the one who has been rejecting Jesus Christ on a quibble? Do you refuse to come because you cannot understand where Cain got his wife? Or how God can punish sinners? Or why we are to believe in a virgin birth or resurrection? And that's where that heart comes. It's rejecting, but you can mask it. I'm being quite intellectual. I'm asking Questions that are so intellectual. Now, I want to be clear. I am not saying don't ask questions. Don't strive to be intellectual. But do it with the mind of Christ. Because when you're doing it with the mind of Christ, it's about getting closer to the Lord. When you're doing it without the mind of Christ, it's about you proving your point, and it's about you feeling self-righteous. And that does not honor the Lord God. And it makes me think of Pastor David's teaching of Genesis 1-1. When we went through it, I think we spent two or three weeks on that one verse In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can't take that, you're not going to take any of it. If you're stuck at that, you're not going to take any. Then we read in verse 44. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. The tensions keep going on. They want to eliminate him. They want to remove him, but no no hands are laid on him. Why? It's not time yet. Man can play themselves and trick themselves, but guess what? Little secret, you can't disrupt God's timeline. God's will will be done. God's will will always be done. So you can't disrupt that. Now we go on, verse 45. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? They show up, the officers come, they've been given a task. Go, get him, bring him to us. They return, he's not there, why didn't you bring him? Their duty has not been fulfilled. Then the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. Now think about, these officers, they would have heard many teachers. They would have heard several as they're doing their duties day in and day out. And they're saying right now, no man ever spoke like this. And if you look to the Greek grammar of where man is, it's in an emphatic position at the end of the sentence implying he's more than just a man. So they're aware of that. They see that. And then the officers now give their answers. The officers answered, no man's ever spoke like this. Then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. 
So right away, they don't even humor it at all. And they're used to that. Because as we talk, the heart of these Pharisees, they're rejecting, it's pride. Pride causes rejecting of Christ. And that pride of needing control over these people, they are built in good. Because guess what? Pride always flips to that question. Are you really going to tell me that's what you believe? Are you really going to tell me dot, 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 dot? Because that's how pride plays out. And they're saying in this moment, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? We know the truth. Us alone. We're the moral compass. These people, that crowd that's going, they're accursed. What an ironic thing for them to say. Because truly, as they're saying it, we're seeing that John 3 condemnation one brings on themselves in action. We're seeing it in action right there. Then Nicodemus. And remember, when we see the parentheses in the Gospel of John, he's helping the Gentile folks that would read this, that wouldn't know some of the details within the culture that a Jewish person may know. He who came to Jesus by night being one of them. He's given that reminder. Remember, he's, he's a religious leader. Said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? He tries to give some perspective. He tries to offer them, let's, let's have a little perspective here. They answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has risen out of Galilee. So what do they do again? Shame the person. They come right to them. Are you, are you also from there? Like, seriously? Are, do you know what you're talking about? Search, look, no prophet has risen out of Galilee. Now, this is a funny little Holy Spirit moment for us. Men, Jonah, 2 Kings 14.25. Let's read it really quick, everyone. 2 Kings 14.25. Remember, these are these religious leaders who know everything. We're going to just read a passage. He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he has spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. It was funny while studying this, and I looked at that passage and was like, wait a second. Jonah was from Gath-Hefer, which is three miles um, north of Nazareth in Lower Galilee. That's a prophet from Galilee. Wait a second, guys. You don't, you're not honest here. That's the reality. So they put down the officers on Christ. They belittle Nicodemus who tries to give perspective. And they forget about prophets such as Jonah, such as Hosea, Nahum, and others that were from Galilee are quite close. And in that, there's an important thing that we have to remember. It's the willingness of man to distort the facts in order to make their arguments against Jesus. And this is a plight of our culture today. We shift the facts, we distort the facts about the word of God in order to push forth the agenda we want. You don't want to address Romans 1 as a church? Fine. We'll subscribe to Matthew Vine's Reformation Project. We'll become one of those churches that affirms whatever you're doing. And will distort the word of God to affirm homosexuality. Boom. That's what you do. You don't want people coming to church without jacket and ties? Fine. Let's take the letters of Paul. Let's distort certain verses. So anybody wearing jeans or anybody singing anything other than a hymn feels condemnation to God. And let's hit there. Now the music one is funny for me because music major here. And if you actually study music history, there's a little nugget that you learn. All of our rules around music came from the Catholic Church because it was the high church. So it's an interesting thing when we start to try to say this is holier than this is not holier. It was all from the Catholic Church to control them. If you want to learn more about musicology, we can talk about that. But again, all of those rules stem there in the name of God. You don't want to deal with the Holy Spirit? Fine. Well, we have to today. <laughs> Look at verse 37 can't avoid it. There's topics, brothers and sisters, and this is the beauty of how Calvary Chapel works. We can't avoid things. If you're going to go through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, you're going to land on things that have some controversy. This is one of them. We're going in. Put your hats on. <laughs> verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, before we even go further, first remember, what feast are we talking about? The Feast of Tabernacles. Remember the feast chart I had? Our elder Paul Dorinsky made a much better chart, so ask him for his. 
But this is an eight-day feast, and we have the Sukkot, those booths that were made, reminding you of this. And it's the palms to remind the people of being and living in the wilderness. And they're pondering all that God did for the people of Israel in the wilderness. Remember, this is one of the three feasts where the pilgrimage would be required to come to Jerusalem. The feast began and ended with a Sabbath day. As we see, verse 37 says, on that last day, you can see some debate with some scholars that'll say, was the last day the seventh day or the eighth day? Either way, when you look at it, it's a powerful moment that takes place with our king here. Because during this feast, each day that took place, except the last day, the priest would take a gold pitcher of water, and they would go to the pool of Siloam, they would fill that up, they would carry it to the temple mount, they would pour it into a silver basin by the altar as an offering unto the Lord. The only day they didn't do it was on the eighth day. Now when they would go and bring it, they would be singing and reciting Isaiah 12, verse 3. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, Call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. They would recall and remember the water God provided in the wilderness. That's what they're doing in this feast. They're rejoicing and remembering him providing. And on the seventh day, what they would recite as they were going on that final day of doing that water would be Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Now that's what they would be singing on that last day of the actual feast. And on that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood in that moment and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So in that moment, Jesus is pointing to that thirst. And it's an imagery to think of if it's day seven to think about these people talking about their, the water is going to be poured out and to hear Jesus crying out there. And that's where I lean towards, you know, it's not a debate we need to get stuck in, but I lean towards that, it's that seventh day, the day of the feast where they're hearing it and he has to cry out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Loudly that they would hear this. Thirst, we've seen this before. If we think of John 4, the first water that comes is the new water of salvation, a fountain. And now here, Jesus is bringing the rivers that will overflow from a spirit-led and spirit-filled life. Now, Paul gives a good explanation of the role that Jesus plays within this, but let's get the history. Exodus chapter 17, this is the encounter that they would be remembering. Exodus 17. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel sent out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirst for water and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you've brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Think of what they've seen already in this. It's a reminder. We're really good at complaining. God answers a prayer. You're moving into faithfulness and it's not, I'm going to complain now and whine because that's what I do. Verse 4, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there and on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of this place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? And boy, is that a portrait of his faithfulness when we're faithless because they're just whining and complaining. But in that he provided still. And we're reminded in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 where Paul is recounting this and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. 
because only one truly fulfills thirst. We all know what it's like to be thirsty. If we said no beverages allowed in Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, and you come in and maybe you forgot to have any water that day, and then by the time the long sermon ends, you're probably going to be thirsty, but you still want to talk to people. You know what it's like to be thirsty. Now, the water that Jesus gives is everlasting. The water that he gives satisfies eternally. The thirst that Jesus is alluding to here is a thirst that every human has. The need for a relationship with God. But that thirst is filled in different ways. If we think about the three different Greek loves, we have eros, where we get the word erotic, that physical love. We have philia, where we get brotherly love. And then we have a deeper, deeper love that is spiritual, agape. And the agape love is what he's hitting here. That void that we need filled, come and drink. Yet we drink of so many things that fall under eros or philio, not ever truly drinking of the Lord. And it's an interesting imagery to think about come and drink. Come and drink. That's a choice. Because somebody can put a drink before you. You have to choose to take it, pick it up, open yourself up to what the liquid is, and consume it. It is a choice that one has to make. It surrenders and it experiences his deep love. Then verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And he says here, those who believe out of their hearts will, not might, will flow rivers of living water. And verse 39 provides us the commentary. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now let's go back to what we were thinking about with the Pharisees. Let's think about the tension that we're talking about. Conflict of where Jesus was born or not. Conflict if there's a prophet from Galilee. What do they do? They distort or ignore the truth. And then we have in the middle of that the Holy Spirit. I personally see three categories that we have for the Holy Spirit in our culture today. When you say Holy Spirit, you have run wilders. When you say Holy Spirit, you have runawayers. And when you say Holy Spirit, you have, this is a made up word for me, run anchored errs, just so it has the errs on there. <laughs> run wild, run away, run anchored. The run wild folks, they're the ones that take the Holy Spirit, they make it a big show, they abuse them, they distort them, they go wild and crazy. And there's much happening, signs and wonders, not realizing that some of that's probably the hand of the enemy. Happy that they're on that train of deception because we know he can do that, but they're just running wild with it. Then we have the runawayers. Those are the ones who say the Holy Spirit was for a set time. Read the book of Acts. If you see, the Holy Spirit was for that time, it was for that season, it was for that place, it was for that time and for that season. Now let's go back to our reading circle. We're good and proper. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit here. And then you've got the run anchors, which I pray this church remains. That's those who pursue a balanced and biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we do John 14 to 16, we're going to do a deeper dive even on the Holy Spirit. But we're going to do a half deep dive today on the Holy Spirit to prepare us for that. Now, a few things we got to remember with the Holy Spirit. One, Genesis 1, 2. The Holy Spirit at creation. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We have to remember the Holy Spirit eternal, present from creation. People want to not remember that. I just showed you the verse. Boom. He's the third person of the Trinity. It is one God revealed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not a thing the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a, a, a thing that we can say, okay, may the force be with you. Let's bring the force in. No, it's a person. He is a person. He has a mind. 1 Corinthians 2, 11. 1 Corinthians 2, 11. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. 
1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. But one and the same Spirit work all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. He has emotion. Ephesians 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then in our text we read, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So if something's coming out, that means something has to come in. Now if we look at the Old Testament, we see throughout, Holy Spirit's eternal, we see moments where the Holy Spirit's upon people. Moses, Joshua, and the book of Judges, the king, Saul, David, we see the Spirit filling them for an action upon them, but not quite yet in them. Even in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, when we read of Simeon, the Spirit was upon him, but not yet in him. Why not? John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus would be crucified, resurrected, and then we see him breathe the Holy Spirit into his followers when the resurrection happens. Turn to John 20. We read there in verse 20. 21, sorry. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. It's that breathing into them of the Holy Spirit that is their new birth as new creations. How did God bring life into Adam? He breathed into his nostrils. So we have to understand that and we see that. And then we go now to the promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. We get this promise now. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and at the end of the earth. So there's that promise that they're waiting on. And then in Acts 2, the day of Pentecost comes. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And in that moment, the doors open for us to commune with the Holy Spirit. Now, the run wilders will take that and say, if you don't speak in tongues at salvation, you're not saved. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. And I'm pretty sure the guy on the cross didn't speak in tongues before he was in paradise next to Jesus. You'll be with me in paradise. He didn't speak in tongues. He didn't get baptized. Just saying. But that door is now opened. Now, on that precious day of salvation, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues, babble is not the requirement of that, as I say. But then what happens, the runawayers really never bring them up again. It's like we're not going to go there. But the run anchorers, we have to bring that up. From July 1, when the Lord started this journey for me as the pastor of this church, his word, his spirit, his way. We need to be a body of believers anchored in the word of God, but we also need to be in communion with the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8. What does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He convicts. It's the first piece that we see. We're going to go through a bunch of different scriptures here. Titus 3, 4, and 6. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Involved with salvation. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We saw in Acts 1.8 the Holy Spirit coming to empower. If we turn to Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit comes to console and anchor us in who we are. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption 
by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And in that suffering, that same Holy Spirit gives us the power to endure it. The persecuted church filled with the Holy Spirit endures all that comes to them. The Holy Spirit prays and intercedes for us. Verse 26 of Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Then we take a look. Galatians 5. If you think about water, when you water a plant, what does it do? It grows, hopefully, unless you're me. But when you water, it bears fruit. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. What fruit is flowing out of you? Just asking. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And it's interesting, there's only a few times ignorant is used. And he's saying, don't be ignorant about this. You know that there were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We saw that in Titus. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each other for the profit of all. That's something that the run wilders miss. Because they make all the gifts of the Spirit about them. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of spirits. To another different kinds of tongues. To another interpretations of tongues. And if you go in 1 Corinthians 14, there's only one way tongues happens in a service. Person says it. Person's interpreting. Isn't going to be happening the whole time. And everybody's not running around doing it. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Pastor Vince, are you saying the gifts of the Spirit are real? Yeah, I am. I am. So now that's when a runaway would stand up. Heretical! Heresy! Heresy! Look at 1 Corinthians 13.10. Look at 1 Corinthians 13.10. Let's look at it. 1 Corinthians 13.10. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. I had a journey uh, in my own life where saved, had a season of uh, backsliding, and within that had visited different churches as I was getting closer to the Lord. And one was an independent uh, fundamentalist Baptist church. And boy, did they want nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. They made it very clear there's nothing to do with the Holy Spirit, and they brought this verse to me. And they said, look, the word of God is here. There's nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. And I said, okay, his word, his spirit, his way, context. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about the greatest gift, spiritual gift of all, love. That agape love that we experience. Now when we look at verse 11 there. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. What is that face to face? That's the glorified believer in eternity with the king. The only perfect gift is his love. The gifts of the spirit are not permanent, but they're for this imperfect time until we get to the perfect time, the glorification of believers in heaven. We're justified, we're sanctified, and then we're glorified. Now the runawayers then holding to this verse will then get grammar grammar on you because they're intellectual, academic. Let's get grammar. The verb not cease, it's in the passive voice, but uh, it isn't in the passive voice, it's in the middle voice, so it could be translated that the tongues will stop by themselves. You can't find any ancient Greek scholar that's agreeing with that, because it's not accurate. 
And also there's other places in scripture where we have, example, the Lord stilling the storms on the water. And you have that same debate about the action word. But it's current and it's happening in that place. It's a distortion accepted in the name of avoiding having to do the work of surrendering to his sovereignty in all areas. And one of those areas is with the Holy Spirit. It was all last week when Pastor David shared about the trip because I was knowing where we were going in the text. And then we have these God surprises that I'm looking at you two because you, you, they're part of it and we see this. And that made me think of that 1 Corinthians 13.10 because by that, the word of God has come. So everything that those people told you in Tunisia must be lies. No, the Holy Spirit is still active and living and doing it. I love what some pastors say. The gifts didn't peter out with Peter. I like that. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote on this too. It's a blessed thing to preach the work of Jesus Christ, but it's an evil thing to omit the work of the Holy Ghost. For the work of the Lord Jesus itself is no blessing to that man who does not know the work of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with all of this? We have to realize Holy Spirit enters us at salvation. But brothers and sisters, we need to seek communion with the Holy Spirit daily, regularly. We need to seek communion with him that we're able to have him fill us, that we pour out and be the church that he's calling us to be, to be the believers that he's calling us to be. It means that you need to pray and ask the Lord, what gifts of the Spirit, Heavenly Father, have you given me? That I may use them to build up the body of believers and to bring glory unto you because that's what they're about. It means that we recall his spirit comforts us, as we see in John 14. It reveals more truth, 1 Corinthians 2. It guides us, John 16. But none of that can be realized if you just ignore the Holy Spirit and put him in the runaway box, or you abuse him and put him in the run wild box. And we see how Jesus gives this picture in the midst of that thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow Rivers of living water. Jesus is the only one that can quench the thirst. If you don't know him, I pray you come to know him. Realize you need a savior, you need a king. Now that flow, in the original Greek, flow would actually better be translated gush. And in the Greek, rivers, torrent. And if we think about that, it's almost as we're saying, out of his innermost being, there will gush torrents of living water. We're not meant to keep the Holy Spirit bottled up within us. God's given the Holy Spirit that we can be his instruments, that the Holy Spirit can flow in and through us, work in and through us for people to come to know Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, we're reminded, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you're not your own? For you were bought at the price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Holy Spirit comes into us. Holy Spirit changes us. Holy Spirit empowers us to be blessed children of God. Then we need to seek communion with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve and bring others to know Jesus Christ. The run wilders make the Holy Spirit all about themselves. Look at me. I'm talking in tongues. Look how cool I am. Do you have that gift? It's all about me. The run anchoreders, you have to realize the Holy Spirit, go through the book of Acts. It's made to build the believer and build his church, build his bride. Acts 2.42, the potluck and prayer, that's a time where we're surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you, be in prayer. Lord, what gifts of the Spirit do you have that you may need me to bring forth for the body of believers? And pray and seek him on that. And we need to ask ourselves, what flows from you, saint? Amid the tensions of our culture today, amidst division in our culture, are you falling prey to it? Are you remembering the spirit of God who dwells in you? And are you saying, fill me afresh that I be torrents of agape love on this world? Don't be a run wilder. Don't be a runawayer. And pray for the run wilders and runawayers you know. Pray for them. You want to be a run anchored. Ignorance and intellect are two things that destroy the presence of the Holy Spirit and believers in the body of Christ. Because we ride the ignorance boat, we ride the intellect boat, and we never get on the intimate boat. Intimacy with the word of God, intimacy with his spirit. 
That's what it needs to be. Charge. Which are you right now? Run wilder, run awayer, or run anchoreder? Ask the Lord to search your heart. Pray, respond to what he reveals. Don't be ignorant. Don't be intellect. Be intimate. And in intimate, you're going to the word. Let the word of God speak to you. Be the double-edged sword. So one, which are you? Run wild or run away or run anchored? Two, what flows out of your heart? What flows out of your heart? Rivers of judgment, rivers of criticism, rivers that point to the flesh, or rivers that point to the power of the fruit of his spirit? This might be another place to say, Father, search my heart. Show me what flows out of my heart. What flows out of your heart? And three, are you willing to seek afresh a filling of the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to seek what gifts the Spirit may reveal that the Father has for you? Are you willing to journey as a run-anchored-er and see what he would lead? See what he would do. See how he would go through it. There's an old hymn. It was written in 1926 by Daniel Everson, who actually, uh, he died in Asheville, North Carolina. So he spent time in our state. Um, And he wrote it after going to an evangelism crusade where the Holy Spirit was brought up. And the hymn speaks to renewing my heart and then being used by the Lord. Because I want to be clear, that's the key with the Holy Spirit. If you're searching what gifts does the Holy Spirit have, Lord, what gifts do you have for me, all of this, and it's about you, and it's not tied to doing the work of bringing people to know Jesus, you're off kilter. He's going to empower you to do the vital work of spreading the gospel, of being a torrent that his love pours through you. It's how you stop having all those people you judge But it's like the song we sing, break our heart for what breaks yours. Truly, brothers and sisters, what flows out of your heart? If I'm honest, there's times not, it's not nice, it's judgment that flows out of my heart. And I need to repent of that and then I need to say, Lord, break my heart that I see this is a person that needs Jesus. Get me off my moral high horse and my self-righteous horse and let me have the mind of Christ that says, come, drink. That old hymn, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. So we know it. So before we sing it, <laughs> ah, this church knows all the hymns. I like it. Let's, you know, we sneak them in. They are beautiful. To be clear, I do love hymns. We do them as a family and family worship. It's a great time. But I just, I'll leave that aside. So Spirit of the living God, can you let yourself as we sing this, Be a prayer right now for the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh. Can you ask, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's in you at salvation. And if you don't know the Lord, I pray you make this the time that you pray for salvation. But can we sing this and can we actually ask the Spirit of God to fall afresh on us, to melt me? It says melt me. Melt me means ooze all of the things of me that aren't glorifying God. Mold me. Mold me into who you need me to be. Fill me. Use me. It's that pattern of conviction, repentance. Commune with the Lord, the Word, and the Spirit, and be used. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me. Oh. Uh-huh.
Father. Lord, I pray, Spirit, fall afresh on each and every single one of us, Lord. Father, looking at that line harmonically as you have melt, mold, and fill, and the dissonance on fill me, that we need to be filled by you, Lord, to resolve and do what you call us to do. Heavenly Father, melt us. Reveal the areas of our heart that need conviction brought in, Lord, that need change. That, Lord, we would with open arms have you mold us into who you need us to be. That we would be filled by you, Lord God, and used by you, Lord, for your glory. Father, in a world that has so much hurt, we pray, Father, use us for your glory. Use the believers in Israel to bring others to salvation, Lord God, and in Gaza, Lord. Use us to bring salvation here to others, Lord, to bring the truth that they would come to repentance and know you, Lord God. Heavenly Father, you are the God of salvation. Use us as your vessels to be bridges that people would come to know you, Jesus. Please, Lord God. Father, use our brothers and sisters in Tunisia, Lord. Fill them afresh with the Spirit. Melt them, mold them, fill them, use them. Our beloved Marini family, Lord, melt, mold, fill, and use them amidst this time. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on this body of believers. Help us to seek a filling of you each day, to be surrendered, Lord, and to live as you call us to, anchored in your word, surrendered in your spirit, living in your way. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Have a beautiful afternoon.